So I've really enjoyed uh, thinking about Pakistan a lot and praying for Pakistan a lot. And uh, I'm going to share with you two unreached peoples today that are on opposite ends of the spectrum because it's interesting. Um, and these unreached peoples, almost all are Muslims. And the ones I'm going to share, this is considered the highest group and the lowest group. So one of the groups, they're considered the highest status people in all of Pakistan. I'm not going to find it there. And they are the Sayyid, S-A-Y-Y-I-D. So S-A-Y-Y-I-D, over 8 million. That's a large people group, isn't it? So they live in the northern part of Pakistan, over 8 million. Uh, they are the highest class of any people group in the country, and so, as you might guess, uh, many of them are religious leaders because they're highly uh, respected. Uh, over 8 million, not a single person has ever been reached with the gospel, much less a church, and they are the Sayyid, S-A-Y-Y-I-D. Then you go all the way down to the lowest of the low. Those are the Musali, uh, M-U-S-S-A-L-I, 2.5 million plus, more than that, and their occupation is the sanitation workers. Uh, as the thing I read described their task as menial and disgusting, uh, they are responsible for all the latrine duty. So that's actually their calling, if you can imagine that. And their names are the Musali. So we've got 2.5 million uh, Musali, M-U-S-S-A-L-I, who are latrine workers and never a single one been reached. Then you go to the highest respected people in the whole country, the Sayyids, over 8 million. Many of them are the respected religious leaders. Not a single person ever uh, faith in Jesus in that people group. Isn't that remarkable? So both the lowest uh, and the highest uh, have never been reached. So... Uh, we are going to pray against that, amen? So we believe the victory of that cross guarantees they will be reached, amen? So maybe one or two uh, would intercede for the Sayyids and the Musali people. Yes, amen. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you. I even read somebody suggested, and they said, what if, like the way you reached the Apostle Paul, uh, the, the uh, highly respected religious leader, what an effect that had? And I saw somebody praying that you would just reach one <laughs> highly uh, Sayyid person, like the Apostle Paul, mm -hmm. and then turn that country upside down. In Jesus' name. Oh, I can't imagine if my job was to clean latrines. That was actually my calling. Uh, I also read somewhere talking about those people that they hate their calling, which is completely understandable, and that they want a way out, which is completely understandable. But most of them see no hope, like we said earlier. So uh, if you're talking two and a half million people that clean latrines day in and day out, who are regarded by the other people in their nation as the scum of the earth, nobody can be lower than a Musali. Uh, I thank you, Jesus, that you love the lowest of the low. Hallelujah. The one who stooped so low loves the people that are treated so low. I believe you've got a great revival in store for the Musali people, two and a half million. So, Lord, what a hard calling that would be for laborers because I believe the people that would be called to reach them need to go clean latrines with them. Uh, that's, a, that's a tough calling, isn't it, Lord, to, to be willing to take up the shovel or whatever they use. Lord, and to get filthy with them, they would probably be amazed. Wouldn't it be great, Lord? It just came into my mind, and I don't know if you would do it. I'd love to see a Sayyid uh, become a follower of Jesus and go clean latrines with the Musali. Uh, wouldn't that be beautiful? To see you reach the Sayyids with salvation in Jesus, and that they then, who are the highest of the high, would be willing to go to the lowest of the low and clean latrines so that Musali people could be reached. 
What an amazing work that would be. Maybe that is your will to do it that way. So we ask and seek and knock in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, Amen, Amen, Amen. Amen. All right. So we got uh, the young ones, including Jonathan. I need Jonathan especially. So, Jonathan, you do have to come. You have to come help me out. You're willing to help me out, aren't you, huh? I know he is willing to help me out. All right. So, what do you think that is? <laughs> Philip's pretty good. He said a mess waiting to happen. What is that? Do you know, Jonathan? So you have to come here, Jonathan. I think that's the beginning of it. I'm not sure when you pull that out. Let's see if we can pull it. Yeah, it is. And we're going to let John Mark help us, too. And you know what he's going to do? Can you stand still right in front of me? And John Mark's going to get the other roll. You get to keep going around him, John Mark, around. And then I'll pass it to you and around. Mm -hmm. Philip said we were making a mess. You don't really be that little tighter, John Mark. We want him to feel it. You're all right, <laughs> aren't you? We're wrapping you up, guy. How's it feel? Not too bad, right? So we're wrapping you up. There's a lot of twine here. If we do this whole thing, yeah, we could even have fun. We could come down here. We're going to wrap you good. Philip says we're making a mess. We're wrapping you up. I think I'll get wrong. And we could even come back up here. But we'll stop. I won't make too big a mess. You know what? But you know what? You look kind of funny like that, and we laugh about it, don't you? We laugh, don't we? But I want to tell you something that's not funny. That is funny, isn't it? But what I want to tell you that's not funny is that's what sin does to us. Do you know that? The sin in our heart, it just wraps us up like that, and it goes around us and around us and around us. And before we know it, we're what's called a slave, or sometimes the Bible says we're chained. And it's such a horrible thing because it then becomes your ruler. Sin actually rules you. It controls you. And the same way you can't get loose from that, you try to get loose from the sin, but it don't work. And you try to get set free, and boom, you're still trapped. You know, today, uh, alcoholic man spoke to me, and uh, my heart has been broken for him. And I said, John, you need to be free. And you know what he said to me? He said, I do. He says, I need to be free. He looks so horrible. He's wrapped up. <laughs> He's wrapped up in his sin. And it doesn't matter if you're poor. It doesn't matter if you're rich. It doesn't matter if you got a lot of money. It doesn't matter who you are. It's the same. Sin just wraps you up, Jonathan, just like that. And you're controlled by it. That's not a good thing, is it? And I'll tell you, there's only one person in the world that can really do it, you know, and he has the power. I try not to hurt you. <laughs> Sometimes he has to hurt us a little bit to do it. But you know what he can do? What do you think he can do? Look at that. Some bad scissors. I got bad scissors. But Jesus, ta-da! He can set you free. Aren't you glad? And that's what we're going to talk about today. One word, freedom, F-R-E. Now, don't you, go and, don't you go and trip out around the ankles like Hebrews 12 talks about, <laughs> the sin that so easily entangles us. But don't you want to be a free fellow? And I want to be a free pastor. And doesn't everyone in this room want freedom? Real freedom? I'm not talking about fake freedom. I'm talking about real supernatural freedom where you are free from sin. Isn't that a most beautiful thing? Free from sin. Wow. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus, we do know that sin wraps us up like that really tight, and oh boy, we stumble, we fall, we hurt ourselves. Then we find ourselves ruled by it, and it's a tyrant, and we try to be set free, and it gets worse, and we try to do better, and we can't, and we find our lives just paralyzed and poisoned, and controlled, and sometimes we just want to scream, oh, how I thank you for the cross, that there is freedom in Jesus Christ, the risen reigning Savior, to take the 
the scissors of his love and to cut the chains of our sin and to set us free into new abundant life in a most awesome way that is true and growing and glorious. So please teach us uh, this afternoon about the ways that you want every one of us in this room, young and old alike, to grow in freedom, freedom in Jesus. So Lord, speak and teach us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You're right, Philip, a mess. You're exactly right. He doesn't trust his dad. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, thank you. Thank you for your help, young fellow. We'll get to those later. We're just going to read them, but we'll read them another time. That's actually good. Amen? We will wait. All right? So, what I'd like you to do is start with me, and we do this many times. I never get tired of this. Can you celebrate? Can you celebrate perfect Jesus with me? Can you celebrate? Isn't it worth celebrating? Just think my perfect creator left heaven and had a perfect what? Birth. Then what did he do for me? He lived a perfect life. And then he went to what? The cross. A perfect cross. Then he had a perfect what? Perfect resurrection. He is risen from the dead. Uh, he's not on earth anymore. Where is he? Heaven. Perfect what? reign, King of kings and Lord of lords. For every person, including Jonathan, he has a perfect gospel of grace to set you free. And guess what? Maranatha, he's coming again. Perfect return, amen. And then a perfect forever where your body will never get sick, you'll never sin, and the new heavens and the new earth. It's worth celebrating just to celebrate our perfect, perfect, perfect Jesus. What we've been doing is celebrating this one who wants us to live in, can you say, perfect freedom. Perfect freedom. Your perfect Jesus wants you to walk and live and grow in experiencing in a supernatural way, day in and day out, his perfect freedom for you. He really wants you to live that way, cleaned from the dirty filth of your sin, healed from your sin sicknesses, freed from your bondages, living in freedom. Amen? Jesus really wants that. And we see that clearly in Revelation 1, 5 through 8, where we are celebrating nine uh, more beautiful truths about perfect Jesus. So I want to just read it again, and we're just going to focus on four and five today. So let's look again, Revelation 1, uh, verse 5, verse 6, verse 7, and verse 8. I'm going to just read the part again about perfect Jesus. Hallelujah. Nine beautiful truths about Jesus. Jesus Christ is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of all the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood, and he made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, and to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is what? Coming. With the clouds, every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. All the tribes of the earth will mourn over him, even so. Amen. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and was and is to come. He's the Almighty. Nine great truths, right? Here's another place where you just see perfect Jesus. Perfect Jesus is the faithful witness, number one. Number two, firstborn from the dead. Number three, ruler of the kings of the earth. Number four, he loves us. Number five, he released us from our sins by his blood. Number six, he's made us into a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. Number seven, he has all the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Number eight, he's coming again. Every eye will see him. Number nine, he's the Alpha and Omega who was and is and is to come, the Lord God, the Almighty. Can you say hallelujah? Hallelujah. hallelujah. Now I want to focus just on two, just number four and number five, and especially with a focus today on the revelation of perfect Jesus and his perfect freedom for us. Amen? His perfect freedom from us. So I just want to look at number four and number five, and I just want you to meditate on this and think about it. It's such a short little phrase, 
But isn't it beautiful? So if you do have your Bible, you just look down there again in my translation, verse 5. It simply says, to him who loves us. Isn't that beautiful? To him who loves us. Jesus loves us. And so I want us just to think a little bit about that. And the way I actually want you to think about that is maybe a little bit different than you have in the past when you think of the one who loves me. I want you to make it personal. I want Joel to think of it in his name and Mark and Booty and Madeline and John Mark and Allison and Kristen and Philip and me and Sonia and Jonathan. I want you to think about this very personally to you, all right? So I want you to even say out loud, the one who loves me. And what I want you to think about is the nine that we talked about when we talk about perfect Jesus. I want you to meditate that if you had been the only person on this entire earth, that everything we talk about, he would have done for you personally out of a deep love for you by name. I'm not talking about the general love of Jesus. I'm talking about the very specific one-on-one love for you. And just to put your name in there. Just think, Jesus is my perfect creator. He made everything out of nothing by the word of his power, visible and invisible. And he left heaven. He left heaven and all the glory, all the spectacular and the beauty and chose to enter into a world of woe and suffering and evil and hatred, knowing what was going to come upon him for you, Booty, personally. I just want you to think, he did this for who? Me. 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 My perfect creator was incarnate. Jesus was incarnated for Brian. You know, if Brian had been the only person on this whole earth, he still would have done it. He would have left and come and been born for me. For me. For me. Just to make it personal. He lived for me. He lived that perfect life every second of every day. He was denied and betrayed and hated and abused and whipped and rejected by his family and rejected by the Jews and rejected by everybody. And every step of the way, he was just saying, I love you, Brian. I love you, Brian. I love you, Brian. And he walked in a perfect obedience every second of his life so that his righteousness could be given to me in heaven so that my hope is never based on anything in me or anything I do, but only based on who he is and what he did. It was all what? Love, love, love. He was just walking steps of love. And I want you to think of it as for yourself. He was doing this for Brian. He was denied for Brian and betrayed for Brian and hated for Brian and whipped for Brian and walked for Brian and he was willing to be betrayed for Brian. He was willing to be hungry for Brian. He was willing for a whole nation to hate him for me. Wow. Wow. Isn't that just unbelievable love? And he loved me because everything was to go to the what? The cross for me. He was crucified for me. He knew the punishment that would have come upon my body and soul in hell forever. And he said, I want to die for you. Right? Isn't that just great love? <laughs> Madeline, you just want to die for Madeline. <laughs> That's such good news. It's personal. <laughs> Crucified for Madeline. And every one of us in this room can say that <laughs> with faith. I mean, how can you be loved more? Lay down his life for you to scream for you, to experience hell burning his body and soul for you. Wow, it was nothing but what? Love. And he rose for who? For me. He rose from the dead to set me free so that sin can't make me sick and it can't make me dirty and it can't bind me. He not only forgave me the punishment, he wants to set me free. Wow, what love. Jesus wants me free. Isn't that great? Risen from the dead. And now, where is he? Heaven. What's he doing? Reigning. King of kings and lords of lords. Can you get this in your heart? It's so hard to really get it. Jesus rules everything, everywhere, every second from his throne in order to love me. Wow. Can you believe that? Can you get that in your soul and really feed on it? That in your life, everything that ever happens to you, He rules how much? Everything, everywhere, every second, always, always to love you. Wow, sometimes it doesn't look like it, does it? Nope. <laughs> sometimes it doesn't feel like it, does it? Nope. What's Mark doing on his back in a hospital bed? 
You know, it doesn't look like love to me. Well, you know what? It does look like love to me. Because Jesus loves Mark so much. He loves Mark so much, he can't not love you. <laughs> so everything he's planned, he's always saying, how can I love Mark more? Everything. That's just unreal, isn't it? He rules everything, everywhere, every single second in order to manifest more of his love for you. Oh, wow, wow, wow. Is that love? And he's going to give you the gospel. He wants all of the gospel glory for you. Every single blessing of his gospel of grace. Isn't that great? I love to take those three things and just think about them. Some of them came in Psalm 51, that sin makes me so dirty and defiled. But Jesus wants to clean me. Not just take away my punishment. Isn't that great? That's one reason I love to bring my heart to the altar. I get excited about the thought of cleaning. Yeah, I pray all the time. I don't know about you. I always, sometimes I just shout, clean me, clean me deeper, clean me deepest. More cleaning! <laughs> I just want more, don't you? Just to be cleaned. My sin defiles me. And Jesus says, Brian, I love you so much. I want to get the scrub brush of my gospel of grace with the supernatural power of my Holy Spirit. And not on the outside, not even seeing your skin being clean. I want to just dig down into the deepest part of your heart, all those different rooms, and I just want to do cleaning. Isn't that great? And he wants to heal me. He doesn't want sin making me sick. He wants every aspect of sin that makes my soul diseased. He wants my soul so well, so healthy. And then the last one we talked about, sin makes you in bondage. It does, doesn't it? That's why sin, one of the horrible things about sin is it does wrap you up. It chains you down. It rules you. It's a tyrant. It controls you. It's horrible. And Jesus says, Brian, I was crucified. Not so that you would live in bondage. I was crucified to set you free. And you believe it in your heart. You say, Jesus wants more freedom for me. Amen? That excites me. That Jesus wants me clean. Jesus wants me healed. Jesus wants me free. What a gospel. Is that not love? And Jesus is going to return for me. What did he say in John 14? I go to prepare a place for you. He goes to prepare a mansion for us. He goes to prepare a place for us. And he's preparing us for the place. It's like he's got, you know, a booty's place. Her mansion. He knows you so well, booty. He created you. He loves you so much. There aren't words to describe it. And he's decorating the perfect abode for you. He's building this house for booty in heaven. And he's making it the booty house. And he, is, he, he knows how to decorate that place. He knows how to just, everything he's doing, he's just laboring to make that so perfect for you. Not for Mark, that's your place. And then he's preparing you for the place because he's going to be taking you home. And he's working to get her ready. And then he said, I'll go to prepare a place. Then I'm going to come for you and I'm going to take you so that where I am there you'll be also. Is that not love? Wow, is that love? Preparing the place. I know it, and I shared that story with you, but it meant so much to Angela. I know I made lots of mistakes, but when I was a young, foolish, young, naive guy getting married and just working my tail off to get that place for her, you know, I had to get the land cleared. I had to get the septic tank installed. I had to get the well dug. I had to get the double wide out there, and I had to get it bricked under, and had to do so many things because I was preparing a place for my bride. And I loved every second of it. You know, with every second I'm just thinking, I'm preparing this for Angela and me. I'm preparing this for Angela and me. I'm preparing a place for her. And I had, so in my mind, I had that picture, you know, carrying her over the threshold, picking her up my arms and carrying her over that door. So it was a little embarrassing when after we got married, I had to go live with mom and dad. Didn't quite work out the way I planned. You know, and I'm glad Jesus doesn't mess it up. I mean, he's preparing a place. It's all about love. He loves his bride so much. He loves me. He loves you. Can't, you just need to be able to say out loud, Je make it personal, please. I hear people talk about Jesus loving everybody or general. It's got to be personal. You have to know me. He loves me. He's preparing a place for me. He's going to return for me. And forever, perfect Jesus, perfect forever, I can't wait. He's going to give me a body that will never, ever get sick again. Wow. 
He was crucified to save my body, not just my soul. I'm going to have a new body. I really am. A body. I don't know what it's going to be like. It's going to be awesome. I know that much. In fact, Scripture says this body can't inherit the new heavens and the new earth because this body ain't made for the new heavens and the new earth. So that's why people who are still alive in the second coming of Jesus have to be changed because they, have to, they don't die, but they've got to get the new body. <laughs> Those who have already decayed in the ground, rise up, the new body. A body will never get sick. I can't wait for the days when I'll never sin again. Wow, I get excited when I think about that. Seeing Jesus face to face and living forever and forever and forever, never committing a single sin. Aren't you excited? He was crucified to set me free into forever where I'll never sin. Wow, I look forward to that, don't you? And the new heavens and the new earth, wow. This heavens and earth is so beautiful despite being marred by our sin. I can't imagine the new heavens, the new earth, and the new universe in absolute perfection un marred by the sin of a human being and I get to enjoy it forever wow he who loves us Jesus loves me wow you have to somehow personalize it where it becomes real for yourself that it's not some abstract generality but it's a very personal dynamic reality that's why I like to think of perfect Jesus and think about all of those nine for me personally it's so exciting him who loves us and i just want to read the scripture for you and this is my prayer this is my prayer for every one of us in this room that what paul penned would happen for you in a supernatural most miraculous way ephesians 3 verse 18 and 19 17 2 may you be rooted and grounded in that love and may you be able to comprehend with all believers what is the length and the breadth and the height and the depth of the love of Christ. And may you know the love of Christ that's even beyond knowledge so that you can be filled up into all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do that, to really make you know and experience in a supernatural miracle way in your soul his love for you. I remember Martin Lloyd-Jones used to preach on this all the time. He used to say that nothing would change a believer more than this. He used to say that over and over and over again, that if Ephesians 3, 18 and 19 could come true for you and you could supernaturally, miraculously, Holy Spirit way, understand in your soul the length, breadth, and height, and depth of the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit's love for you personally, and if that became real in your soul, he said there's nothing that will change your life more. It's not simply intellectual or emotional, but you begin to know it in your soul supernaturally. It'll turn your whole life inside and out. Nothing can be greater than to really know it. To really know it. It takes a miracle for that to happen, doesn't it? The Holy Spirit has to reveal it to you. That's why I can, God wants to. That's what excites me. The Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit want to reveal their love for you in a billion ways. You've got to learn to look. And what? listen and see all the ways God is loving you. You got to see him. Satan doesn't want you to know him. The Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit want you to see the billions of ways he's loving you personally by name. Amen? Amen. And to feel it, to know it, to taste it, to love it in Jesus' name. And number five is even more powerful in some ways. Look at number five. He not only loves you, he what? Boy, I never get tired of really reading this. I've been reading this all week and just meditating on this and memorizing it. He, he released us from our sins by his what? Blood. That, that's not just talking about taking your punishment on the cross. He wants to what? Set you free. Released you. You know, it's that picture being wound up by all that string and Jesus coming with the scissors doing what? He's looking at every sin in Mark's life and he's just going cut, 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 cut. He's looking at Mark with love and he's saying, free, 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 free. Wow. He wants to cut every chain, every string, every cord. He loves you so much. He says, you know, Jesus says to Joel, I can't bear for you to live in bondage. I was crucified so Joel would be free. And so he comes with his scissors and he just goes, cut, cut, cut. 
He says, you don't belong to Satan anymore. You belong to me. I love you, Joel. I love you, Joel. I love you, Joel. And he says, I've released you. Isn't that the most amazing verse? I have released you, make it personally, from all your sins by my blood. I believe that for myself. I've just meditating on this all week. Just coming back, Jesus released Brian from his sins by his blood. I don't have to live in bondage anymore. Jesus wants me free, 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 free. Wow. I start asking for personal things. And I do. I just talk about different things. One of the things I've been asking for a lot lately, isn't it great just to talk to God in prayer? I said, Jesus, I don't want to be a selfish dad. I, don't, I hate selfishness. And so I just talk to Jesus about it. I say, Jesus, I believe you will crucify to release me from selfishness. I do not have to be selfish. Hallelujah. <laughs> he was crucified to release me from selfishness by his blood. To release me from fear. Hallelujah. To release me from anxiety. To release me from bitterness. Judgmentalism. Whatever you want freedom from. That's one I've been praying all week. Isn't it great to take a particular thing and just talk to the Lord about it? I've been telling God all week long that I don't want to be a judgmental person. And so I've been believing this. I said, Jesus, you were crucified to release Brian from judgmentalism. And so I've been asking him. I say, you have to. <laughs> Your word says it. Release me. Amen? And anything you can think of. You can bring any sin that you've been struggling with in your life, and you can say, Jesus wants you freedom. It is for freedom that Christ set you free. Amen? Just listen. I'm going to read a couple verses. It'll be hard for you to follow along, so what I want to encourage you to do uh, in the future is uh, you can take Romans 6, 7, and 8 and look them up on your own. Just read all three chapters. <laughs> Just read the, read the whole chapters, but I'm only read a few verses. What shall we say? Are we to continue in sin so God's grace can increase? What's the answer? May it never be. How can you who've died to the power of sin still live in it? We will walk. I love this. We will walk in newness of life. If we've become united with Jesus in the likeness of his death, Certainly, we will be also united to Jesus in the likeness of his resurrection. Cross and resurrection, amen? Knowing this, our old self was crucified with Jesus so the body of sin could be done away with. Hallelujah, that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Doesn't that make you want to just jump up and down? I'm not a slave. That's why I keep telling you, you don't have to be. No longer be a slave to sin. He who died, I love the next phrase, is freed from his sin. If you've died with Christ, you also believe that you're going to what? Live with him. Knowing that Jesus was raised from the dead and will never die again, death no longer has any power and mastery over him. Hallelujah. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all his people, and the life he lives, he lives for all of us to God. Therefore... It's a big therefore. Reckon yourself dead to sin and alive in Jesus. You see what he's saying? By faith you believe that you are united to Jesus and the power of the cross so that he can crucify and put to death in you everything that needs to die. And by faith you're plugged into the resurrection so that the life that's in Jesus will literally, because you're plugged in, flow into you, fill you, and overflow you. Do you believe that? By what? Faith. You just believe. Jesus' cross is my cross. I believe there is power in that crucifixion to execute and put to death in me every single thing that needs to die. I believe, I honestly do, selfishness can't live in me because of that. That I'm plugged into a cross that has the supernatural power to put to death the selfishness of Brian. I believe it by faith. And I believe that I'm plugged into Jesus so that the life that is in the soul of Jesus will literally flow. It's like an invisible connection. It will flow into me, it will fill me, and it will overflow me because I have resurrection life. I believe it. By what? Faith. I cannot tell you how powerful that verse is, 611. 
Even so, consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your body that you will obey its lust. You don't have to. You don't have to. Hallelujah. Verse 13, don't keep presenting yourselves uh, to sin as an instrument of unrighteousness. Present yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead, and your members are now members of righteousness to God. Sin will never be master over you because you are not under law. You are under grace. Wow. Now you have been, verse 22, freed from your sin. You have been enslaved to God and you get all the benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome of that, eternal life. Wow. Chapter 7, verse 6. Now you have been released from the law and you have died to everything that had you what? Bound. Now, in newness of the Holy Spirit, you serve not in the old way of the law. Chapter 8, probably the best chapter maybe in the Bible, I don't know. Verse 1 and 2, Therefore, there is now no <laughs> condemnation to those who are in Jesus. And it goes on to say, because the law of the Spirit of life in Jesus has set you free. From the law of sin and death. What the law could never do because it was weak because of my sinful flesh, God did it all by sending His Son in the likeness of my sinful flesh as an offering for my sin, and He judged my sin in His flesh in order that the requirement of the law now can be fulfilled in me because I don't walk according to the flesh anymore, but I walk according to the Holy Spirit. Wow. Romans 8, 1 through 4. Isn't that awesome? Verse 13, if we are living according to the flesh, we'll die. But if you're living by the Holy Spirit, I love this phrase, I never get tired of it. If you're living by the Holy Spirit, you are putting to death the deeds of your flesh and you will live. Wow. Isn't that awesome? By the Holy Spirit. If by the Holy Spirit, you are putting to death, crucifying the deeds of the flesh. Then by the resurrection, you in Christ will live. It's a fact. Romans 8, verse 13. All who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. You have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. You've received the spirit of adoption as a child. Now you cry, Abba, you are my Father. And the Holy Spirit himself bears witness with your spirit that you're a child of God. Wow, wow, wow. I read those passages and I just know over and over, Jesus was crucified to set me free. I really believe that. Do you believe it? That's why when I talk to some of those people, I'll tell them. I'll, tell, I'll look them right in the eye and I'll tell them I love them and I'll say, you do not have to live like this. I'll tell that to those homeless people and addicts all the time. I'm not underplaying the reality of addiction. I do not take addiction lightly. I go out to Hebron all the time. I know about addiction. I don't take it lightly. In fact, the more you learn about addiction, the more you will learn what Madeline prayed earlier, and that is there's often a demonic component. It's not just an issue of a chemical imbalance or something that went bad for you. There's a very real supernatural, evil, demonic, spiritual presence that enslaves people. But I believe this cross is far greater. I believe the power of the cross of Jesus can break and destroy the works of the devil. And I believe addicts can be set free into full, new, abundant life. They can, they will actually believe it. I'm convinced in these last days we're going to see a, such an awesome outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You're going to see so many addicts set free. You really will. You're going to be blown away by the gospel of Christ setting addicts free to full, new, abundant, eternal life in Christ. They will be set free. They will be. And Christ wants you and me to experience all of that. The gospel of the cross, the gospel of the resurrection, and the gospel of his promises. I just know that more and more is for me. It's for anybody that wants it. You can plug into the cross... It's just beautiful, even this picture. Plug into the cross so that the power of Jesus' cross can crucify and execute everything in you that needs to die. Doesn't that excite you? I want to die. The more Brian dies, what happens? Jesus rises. 
because I'm also plugged into his resurrection. So that means that everything that's the most amazing thought in my mind, when I think of myself visually, I picture myself plugged into Jesus. So I picture that what's actually in the soul of Jesus flows into me. Isn't that wild? It's like a hose. It flows. And it literally flows into me, fills me, and overflows me. So I can literally experience what's in Jesus filling me. Isn't that amazing? Controlling my mind, my thoughts, my desires, my speech, my actions. Wow. That is what I call resurrection life. Isn't that staggering? It is so true. So I want to apply just a couple applications. Um, and, you know, this is a fair question, isn't it? To me, it's a fair question to ask, why is it that so many people are not experiencing this freedom? That's a fair question. You may even say it for yourself. You may say, why am I not experiencing this freedom? So you may make it personal, personal. You might say, why am I not experiencing this kind of freedom in my life day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year? And so I want to talk about just a couple very practical applications that you can take to heart. Number one, you've got to be a born-again, repentant believer. So some people don't experience this because they've never really been born again. They're not a true, spirit-birthed, repentant believer. So they don't have the freedom yet because they haven't even started the journey. Number two, the way you experience this more and more is learning how to die to sin in the flesh daily and to rise in Christ. So what that means is I can't experience the freedom of the resurrection without what? The death of Brian. I've got to die. I've got to die how often? Daily. How, how much each day? 24-7. I have, like I told you all recently, I've been taking five things. Sometimes God will put things in my heart and I'll just begin praying them, and I remember things by numbers because I love math, and so there are five things I've been praying about self in my own life. I want to die to a self-centered life, to a selfish life, to a self-will, self-in-control, to self-pleasing, and even to self-effort, even to self-effort, because when I try in the flesh, I don't make any progress. So I just tell God all again and again, I want more of the power of the cross of Jesus executing everything in me that needs to die. Amen? And many believers want resurrection life without a what? Without a cross. So you can't. If you want freedom, you have to what? Die. So if you want more freedom, ask God to teach you how to die. Who's the only one that can teach you? The Holy Spirit. I love that Romans passage because it says, if by the Holy Spirit I'm putting to death the deeds of the flesh, I will live. Mark's not the one telling me what needs to die. You know, he's not coming and saying, Brian, I've seen these things in your life. <laughs> and, yeah, and he's giving me that list, I can't go to this movie or I can't do that or do this. And he's giving me his list of laws to try to help me be a better Christian. Will it work? Mm -mm. Legalism will never work. The Holy Spirit's the only one that can teach you how to be the executioner of your own flesh. You're the executioner by grace. You have to put it to death yourself. If by the Spirit, what does the passage say? If by the Spirit you, that's to Philip, if by the Spirit Philip is putting to death the deeds of the flesh, then he will live. Philip has to learn how to execute Philip. That's wild, isn't it? But you can't rise if you don't what? Die. Number three, you've got to learn how to die to the law and rise in Christ. Have you ever noticed that? That Romans 6 and 7 first talks to you about the danger of the flesh and the sin and the lust. What's the next thing it talks about? The danger of what? The law. Why does it talk about that? Because we as Christians get off the gospel track so easily, Joel. We're going right along there in our gospel train following Jesus. Before we know it, we have veered off left, and we've gotten so far away from him, we don't know where we are. Because we got off the gospel. You know what the gospel is? It's all promises. The promise of the cross, the promise of the resurrection, and the promises of the book. How do those promises work? By the Holy Spirit through what? Faith. It's all faith, Holy Spirit, promises. You get off sidetracked and before you know it, you're on law, flesh, works. So now by your flesh, you're trying to obey the law to be a good Christian because you think God's going to reward you. Wow, you go, how do we get there, booty? How do we get off there? How do we get to the flesh life? And now we're trying to work real hard and we're trying to obey all the laws and we think God's going to bless us if we do. How do we get off track? How? 
How do we get away? And if you don't think that's a problem, you read the book of Galatians. The whole book of Galatians is about all these Christians and entire churches that got off track. And Paul says over and over, you began so well. What happened? What happened, he asked them. And he goes on to talk about that. He says, you used to be gospel people, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. He said, now you're law people trying to work for it to earn God's favor. Let me tell you, the danger of legalism is a greater danger than you could ever dream. Why did God have to write an entire book of the Bible about it? Galatians. The whole book of Galatians is about freedom. And he's warning people who have gotten off the gospel track. You will lose your freedom if you begin to become a law, flesh, works person. And it's much more subtle than you think. Number four, which you can already learn this, faith, 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 faith. You need supernatural what? Faith. Not just intellectual belief, no. Not just emotional belief, no. But what? Transformational belief. Head and heart's not enough. A lot of people who have intellectual belief don't have supernatural faith. A lot of people who have emotional faith don't have supernatural faith. It needs to be a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, not just in your head and heart, but really giving you faith. I've been praying a lot for this lately. I've been talking to Jesus about this. I've been telling Jesus how much more faith I want. I say, Jesus, I need more faith. I need more faith to follow you. I want more faith. And I talk to him about it. And I pray about it. More faith. Number five, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. You need to be spirit-filled, spirit-walking, spirit-living, and spirit-led. And you need to stop grieving, quenching, and resisting the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can show you this. It's not enough to be spirit-born. <laughs> you got to be spirit-filled. Therefore, in the Scripture, spirit-filled, spirit-walking, actually five, spirit-filled, Spirit walking, spirit living, spirit led, and spirit fullness. You need to be spirit filled, spirit walking, spirit living, spirit led, and spirit fullness. And you need to be set free by the cross from anything in your life that would grieve the Holy Spirit, quench the Holy Spirit, or resist the Holy Spirit. You've got to learn to live the spirit filled life. I learned a whole lot of this from Pastor Bill. There's so many Christians that just don't understand the spirit filled life. They live simply intellectually or emotionally. You need to love the Holy Spirit, know the Holy Spirit, and let the Holy Spirit guide you into what? Freedom. The Holy Spirit wants you free just like the Father and Jesus. Number six, what we already talked about today, humble, contrite, true repentance. Psalm 51. Don't you love the end like Mark recited again? What are the sacrifices of God, Mark? Is it going to church every day? Is it being real religious? Is it making sure? I know you need to get in the tent, but do you honestly think getting in the tent every morning is going to do it? I don't think. What do you need, Mark? A humble and a contrite heart, which God will never what? Despise. Never. He loves humble. Isn't that great? Just humble, contrite, repentant. Wow. That will give you more freedom. To learn the humble, which again makes us want to hate pride, right? I hate pride because I know pride is going to block me. I need to be a much more humble man. And I talk to Jesus about this. I say, Brian needs to be humble, Brian, repentant, Brian, contrite, Brian, and at times broken, Brian. I need to, Jesus, because that's going to give me access to all the beauty of your abundant life. And I can't bear the thought of pride blocking my way to you. It will block freedom, won't it? Pride, it'll block my freedom. And last of all, it makes sense. So this is number seven. That's a good number. Obedience. Obedience, where you're actually practicing your salvation. Amen? I love Philippians 2, 12, and 13. You could find countless passages. Uh, work out your salvation with what? Fear. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But why? Because he's working within you to do two things. Do you remember? Both to what? Will give you the desire and to work his pleasure. Wow. That's what I call the work out and the work in. <laughs> I need to work out what God's working in. 
And that means that as I grow, he's going to show me things. I've got to learn to grow in obedience, practicing my faith, right? I've got to practice what he's teaching me. I have to put it into what? Practice. It's amazing to me. I started looking up that word practice and how many places I found it. In Hebrews 5 at the end of the chapter, it talks about those who are immature believers uh, and they've remained babies because it says they've never learned to practice. They haven't learned to practice their salvation. They haven't learned to do, to be doers. They haven't learned to let God teach them small lessons. That's how he often works. You know how patient he is and how kind he is? Now, just the other day I did something. I don't even need to tell you all what it is. But it was really interesting. Right before I did it, uh, I could feel a little quickening of the Holy Spirit in my heart that said, don't say that. And I said it anyway, you know, time for repentance. But God showed me afterwards, he said, you didn't need to say that. It wasn't any big matter. To y'all, it's not big. To me, it was big because God didn't want me saying it. And it was something that I let come out that was actually about another person, but it didn't need to be heard. It did not need to be heard. And I spoke it, and I confess. And you might think that's a small thing, but the reason it wasn't a small thing was the Holy Spirit was telling me not to do it. And I did it. So now I have to step back and repent, which I'm doing in front of you. And the next time I'm hoping that as the Holy Spirit does that, that I really will practice. The next time I will practice, I will do what Jesus wants me to do. I know I have the power in the Holy Spirit. I don't have to practice the wrong thing. I don't have to practice it. But God wants to teach you all kinds of different lessons about big things and small things to teach you how to be a follower and a doer and to practice your salvation so that you're learning to walk in what the Holy Spirit's teaching you to do. Amen? Amen. So let me pray for us. Father, I do ask and seek and knock for every one of us in this room those things we talked about. In essence, it's one word, freedom. I'm so glad that the Father wants every one of us in this room free. Jesus wants us free. The Holy Spirit wants us free even more than we want. Even more than we want. Wow. We have a God who wants us free. So, Lord, we're just asking, seeking, and knocking for you to teach us how to experience more of the fullness of freedom in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.